two weeks ago, we uh, started a new series called Matters of the Heart. And two weeks ago, we asked the question, why don't we long for Christ with a biblical historical passion that's apparent if you study our faith? And uh, last week, we looked at some answers at that question and, and how it plays out in our lives. And, uh, and uh, when we looked at that, one of the things we said, well, actually, would you just bow your head and just take a moment. Let's just ask the Lord to help us to hear what he wants us to say. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that you, uh, you call us into your presence. And Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, we, we want to long for you. We want to have that desire to press into you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we look into your word, that you would make these, these words come alive into the hearts of your people. Speak to us, God, past the level of our intellect and emotions and, and, and deal with us deep in our innermost being today, Lord God. And I pray that you would say what you want to say, do what you want to do, and Lord, that we would be open and we would hear what you're saying to your church today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So two weeks ago, we asked the question, why don't we long for Christ uh, with that biblical and historical passion that that's there. We saw it, it, it throughout history, throughout scripture. And then last week we began to look at some of the answers to that question. And one of the things last week that we said was that, uh, that can happen is that we, we can have a desire and, and remember desires are not inherently evil, but then if we have that desire and we, we can close our hand around that desire and turn that desire into an, into an idol. And so what ends up happening is we say, God, you can do whatever you want. You can work in any way that you want, but don't touch this. Whatever that thing is, it can be anything. It can be morally neutral. It can be something that's good. It can be something that's beautiful. It can even be something that is right. But in the end, if you close your hand around it and say, do whatever you want, God, but don't touch this, then you're guilty of idolatry. And then we moved on from there and talked about pride. Now that pride freely, freely is a form of idolatry. It's just that with pride, you become the idol in your, in your life. But pride is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. And we talked about how it works itself out in the evangelical community where we begin to believe somehow that we've got everything figured out. And, and then we believe that we are tools in the hands of God to right everyone else's wrongs and to correct everybody else's theology and to tell everyone else how they're supposed to raise their kids and how they're supposed to do this and how they're supposed to do that. And, so, and in so doing, it's really easy for us to begin to neglect our own relationship with Christ. And so then we don't press into Christ for ourselves. Uh, instead, we end up easily often uh, becoming the religious police and try to force everyone else around us to do the right things. And when that happens, you become proud. And that collides with our idolatry and it leads us to the hardening of our heart. And the hardening of our heart is we talked about last week is when, when God turns you over to your sins and says, fine, chase it, you can have it. And at that point, your spiritual appetite dies out. And so last week, we ended last week by asking, how can we know what's going on inside of our hearts? Because our heart is deceitful. It's hard to see what's going on there. How can we know if we have idolatry or pride in our hearts? Some of us knew right away when we heard it, but the Bible gives us clear ways to test our hearts for those who are, who are wondering. For the rest of this series, we're going to dive headlong, headlong into 
uh, the kind of test that the scripture gives us to, to see what's really going on in our hearts. See, we, we set out to answer the questions, why don't we have more of a hunger for God than we do? Why don't we burn with passion for him and long to be near him? Why is there no willingness to forsake all to know him deeply? Is, is, is the reason pride? Is it idolatry or hardening of the heart? Those are questions that we've asked, and today we're going to take one step in trying to solve it. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 19. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I'm going to pause there and say, I don't think he's saying anything that's particularly revolutionary there. I don't think he's pressing any buttons that we don't want him to press. What Jesus is doing, he's just simply being honest about how the universe is wired, how he created it to be. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, here's the reality of life. Everything that you possess and all that you're currently chasing is one day going to pass away. It's one day going to end up in the landfill. It doesn't matter how much you love it or, or, or how much you polish it or, how, or whether you, I mean, you, like some of us guys, you, 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 you love your car and you name it. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if you, if you wash it on gentle cycle and never put it in the dryer. Everything that you have and all that you're currently pursuing is on its way to the junkyard. And if it doesn't end up in the junkyard, then decay is going to get it or something's going to destroy it or, or somebody's going to take it. He's saying, listen, you can get this stuff if you want, but in the end, it's going to be trash. In the end, the nicest of things, the most beautiful cars, the most amazing of homes, they all end up being something that nobody wants. Eventually, it's all going to be trash. It's going to be junk. Uh, you know, I'll put it like this. My first car, and I know you're going to get jealous when you hear this, was a 1973 Buick Regal. I know, I know, I know, I know you're sitting there, you're just amazed, but you know, you know, but listen, by the time I owned it, uh, it, it the vinyl top on it was all kind of wearing out and sort of, you know, had all the cracks and was sort of peeling up and looking, starting to look nasty. And then the, the interior, particularly the driver's side seat, uh, it, it, I'll be honest, it sort of looked like a dog had gotten in there and chewed it all up and then spit it back out. I mean, it just looked hor horrible. It was just really bad shape. Not only that, the driver's side door, the, the hinge on it was messed up so that in order to close the driver's side door, and it was a two-door, it wasn't a four-door, but you had to lift up on the door to be able to close the door. It was not a nice car, all right? This was not a car that you would cruise slowly past the chicks down, you know, on a Friday night you know, and roll the window down and say, hey, what's up? You know, you didn't, you didn't do that with this. You know, it, it was one of those cars that was more likely to randomly backfire, you know, and kids would, would hit the deck and mothers would pull their children off the, you know, off the streets. That's just what well, you never know. I, listen, I, I never, ever got into that car and said to myself, I am the man, you know? It was more like, please don't explode today. I mean, there was no cool left in that car. But that wasn't always the case. There was a time when it was a great car. There was a time when someone drove it off the parking lot and they had the windows down and the music pumping. 
And they were proud of it. And people saw them driving down the road and saying, wow, look at that new Buick Regal. See, everything you have is going this way. Everything you have is on its way to the junkyard. Everything you have will one day no longer be desirable. Everything. And, and, and all the things that you're planning for and all the things that you're pursuing that you currently don't have, listen, it's just a matter of time. Rust will get it. Some random animal's going to eat it or, or somebody's going to steal it from you. In the end... It's all on its way to being buried somewhere. And listen, the scripture is saturated with this idea. Keep your finger here in Matthew because we're coming right back. But I want you to look at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is going to reinforce this idea that everything you see in the end is going to be in a junkyard somewhere, if not buried with dirty diapers in the landfill. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 says this. So we do not lose heart. Listen to this. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. So listen, he says, even your physical body is a testimony that something bad is happening. Can I get an amen? You know, the outwardly, day by day, you know, we're, 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 we're wasting away. And listen, if you're under 30, you probably don't fully understand that yet. If you're over 30, you're getting hints of it, but soon you will know it fully. Can I get an amen for some more, more seasoned among us? Like, listen, you know, you get older and random stuff just starts hurting on you and you don't know what you did to make it hurt. You know, it's just like, listen, I was sitting on my sofa a few years ago, probably three years ago, I was sitting on my sofa typing on my computer, and my back went out. I mean, how bad do you have to be that typing throws your back out, you know? Or, you know, you just don't have to, you, you don't even know what happened. You're like, you're like, what happened to my arm? And somebody says, well, what, you're doing, what were you doing? Drinking? I was drinking and I blew a ligament. You know, that's, that's what he means when he says we're outwardly, outwardly, we're wasting away. But inwardly, something eternal, the soul, he says, is being renewed day by day. And we'll get into that in a, in a minute, but let's keep reading. Verse 17, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Now listen to this. For the things that are seen are what? Are transient. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. Okay, so, so just take a minute. Look around you. L look, at, look at your watch. Look at your, your shirt. Look at your dress. Look at your rings. Look at your shoes. Look at all, all that you see around you. Check it out and drink it in deeply because it's on its way to destruction. Everything that is seen is transient. It's here for a moment and then gone. Everything. But, but here's the good news. There are some unseen things that are eternal. That means they're not transient. They're not going anywhere. They will always be. So keep your finger in Matthew, but let's go to Psalm 49. We'll pick it up in verse 16. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich. When the glory of his house increases. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I never want to do that. But here's what he's saying. He, he's saying that with wealth, there comes a certain amount of honor. 
there is glory that is attached to wealth. More about that in a minute, but let's read on. Verse 17, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. Have you ever, did you know that the Bible is the one who said you can't take it with you? For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Listen, we, we understand this, and I'm going to make it clear. There is a measure of glory and honor that monetary wealth gets you while you're living here on earth. It, it, it gets you access to certain places, or, or it gets you certain things that other people can't get. It, it, it gets for you a certain glory, so to speak. You know, I'll, I'll use a car again as an example. I drive a, a, a Chevy Impala. Now, that's a nice car. It drives well. And the most important thing, the air works. That's, that's what matters in the summer. Uh, and, and, but here's the thing. I, I have never pulled up anywhere. I have never, ever pulled up anywhere and had somebody look at my Chevy Impala and go, where'd you get that? Woo! Never. Let me just drive it, man, just around the block. No, that's never happened. Never, ever happened. It certainly never happened with the Buick. I can tell you that right now. But listen, there are certain rides out there that people can pull up in and everybody goes, oh, man, look at that. Can, can I drive it? Will you, will you take me on a ride? Because there's a certain amount of glory there that the world sees. But here's what he says. He says that glory and the honor that you get from your wealth does not follow you after you die. I mean, listen, the truth is you don't go and get into heaven and have God look at you when you first arrive in heaven and say, man, that Maserati was hot. He doesn't do that. He, he doesn't look at you and say, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a special place for you because you were wealthy on earth. Let me introduce you to the Apostle Paul. Come on. Oh, oh, Peter, you, you want to meet Peter? Come on. Rich guy, Peter. Peter, rich guy. You know, he doesn't look at anybody in heaven and say, this guy had a car when he was on earth. Woo-hoo! So don't worry about it. When this glory increases for man because of his stuff, he says, don't worry about it when other people seem to be getting special treatment because they have wealth and you don't have wealth. Because in the end, he says, it's all staying here. Eventually, it will be his kid's glory. And his kid will squander it all. Statistics tell us that. Let's go one more. I'm, gonna, I'm just trying to show you that we live in a transient world. And that everything you see is going away. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Uh, see, see here, here's what it says. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Um, so, so he goes, he says, at least pay attention to life enough to ensure that wealth is not the sole pursuit of your life. He says, don't make that your goal. Why? Because of verse 5, he says, when your eyes light on it, it is gone. It, it, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. And everybody here knows exactly what that feels like when you put your paycheck in the bank and then you, before the next paycheck it comes in, you, you wonder what happened to everything. Because once again, he's saying, listen, it's not going to last. You think you have it, but the whole thing is it's this elusive deal that you seem, never seem to get enough. The truth is, if, if you're pursuing wealth, if that's what your goal in life is, if you're pursuing wealth and you make a million, then you're going to want two million. 
Because the hunger for these things is insatiable because we're trying to fill our lives with something that matters and we think it's going to do, uh, the wealth is going to do it and then when we get it, it doesn't work and so we think it must mean that I need more. And so if you're pursuing a million, then you'll want two million. Then if you get to two million, then two million is not going to be enough and you'll want four million and then you get to four million and you, and you just can't get enough. It's elusive. It flies away. You're, you're going, if I can get to five million, I can retire. And then you get to five million, but then you want 10 million. And then you get to 10 million and it's 15 million. Then 15 million becomes 20 million. And the reality is you're always going to be chasing it because as soon as you get there, it flies away. So, so, so here's what he's saying. He's saying maybe we shouldn't spend all of our time and energy pursuing things that are going to end up in the trash can, things that are not going to follow us into eternity. And here's why I think this can be so devastating because, well, let me ask this. If you could control how you were viewed by the world around you, would you do it? Well, it's a trick question because the answer is yes, you can control it. And yes, we do do it. Here's what I mean. Um, and I think you'll relate with this. Earthly treasures are stressful because they're transient. Something's always breaking. Can I get an amen? Something always needs to be repaired. And yet, at the same time, they, they can define how other people view us. The car we drive impacts the way people view us. The, the, what we wear, the clothes that we wear impacts the way people view us. Where we live impacts the way people view us. What we do here, what we do there, what, what our educational level is, where we, where we fit into the business community, it all affects how people view us. They see us in a certain way because of those things. And when you begin to use those things to control how you're viewed, to try to manage your image in the, in the world around you, then you end up chasing the image and you're chasing the image that all is well, that everything is good, that all is right, that we're successful, even if it's not the case. And so we're going to drive the right car and I'm going to, you know, going to have the right wife and our kids are going to be involved in the right activities and we want them to dominate on the soccer field or on the football field or softball field and we want them to be, them to be academic All-Americans and we start making them read at age one and a half and if they don't, we're frustrated and we take them to some special school to help them read quicker and we want to compare their, uh, our kids' grades with other people's kids' grades because they've got to do well and they've got to succeed here and we got to have the right house to make it successful and what got, gets lost in all of this is the truth. Listen, I think the astronomical debt issue in the United States stems largely from trying to play the part and trying to control how other people see us through sheer purchasing power. And I, I believe that if you're spending money that you do not have for things that you do not need, then that tells us that your treasure is here. Let's go to Matthew 6. Back there, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now listen, there are two ways of, of seeing reality, of seeing the world around us. One way of seeing reality is the accumulation of stuff here on earth. That's the attitude that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. And, but another way, there's another way of seeing reality, another way of seeing life is to store up treasures. It's the same as the first because Jesus said there, he said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. So seeking treasure is not the issue. It's where we're seeking treasure that matters. So there's another way of looking at it and say, it says, I want to store up treasure. In the same, it's the same as the first, except in this case, the treasures that we want to store up, we want to store them up in heaven. But, but listen, let's not be ambiguous here. It is really easy to read this and many other passages and have no idea what in the world he's talking about. We say, I want treasures in heaven. But then we don't really know what that looks like and we don't really know how to do that. But the great news is Jesus isn't going to leave us hanging. He's going to teach us exactly how to store up treasures in heaven. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 32, starting there. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that verse. But verse 33 says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, this is what, what he's trying to get across to us. Worldly possessions have been given to you and to me to distribute in such a way that honors Christ and builds the kingdom. What you have been given, you have been given so that you can give out to make Christ known. I, I want you to visualize what's happening here. He, he does not say, he does not say whatever you have over and, beyond, uh, over and beyond what you need to spend on yourself, give away. That's not what he says. He said what here, basically he said, he says, listen, sell something if you need to in order to give to a person in need. And we see a great picture of that in the early church in Acts chapter 2. Verse 44 and 45, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, see here's what's happening. They, they would see a need, and, 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 and if they didn't have the cash to help, then they would, go, they would look at that situation and say, Man, that's my brother. That's a sister of mine that's hurting, that's in need. And, and that's somebody who has nothing. And, and what can I do about it? All right, I'm selling my boat. All right, I'm, all right, that's it. I'm getting rid, of, getting rid of cable. Now I'm talking blasphemy. I'm going to cut cable. All right, that's it. I'm going to sell my TV because that way I have money to help them. I mean, can, you even, can we even begin to fathom this kind of heart? I mean, is there a better example of open-handedness to be able to say, Lord... If you want me to sell anything to be able to make your kingdom great, I will do it. That's living life with an open hand. Of say, that's saying, Lord, anything is yours. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Now, 
in this case, it's not saying, hey, I have some extra, so I'll give it. It's saying, I see a need in this moment, but I have no extra. However, my reward is not in this life, so I will therefore make a deposit into the future economy, into the treasure of heaven by getting rid of these things now. Okay, let's look at another one, just in case you think that one's random. Go over to Luke 14. We'll look at verses 13 and 14. It says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? He tells us. Because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Listen, this is, this is not networking. This is not inviting, you know, your business associates to a feast because you're thinking it will help your business. This is not networking. This is not, I want to be known and help uh, uh, the, the covenant community. Uh, this is give to, love on, extend mercy to people who will never be able to repay you in any way. Why? Because at the resurrection of the just, then you'll be repaid. Now listen, I, I want to be careful here because there, there have been times when I felt a leading of the spirit to give something to someone where I thought in, in maybe that in doing so, I might be making matters worse or I might even be enabling them. Here's what, I, here's what I want to say to you. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, when he says to you, I'm telling you to give, that's when our wisdom needs to be laid aside and trust him when he says, I'm telling you to give, I'll deal with them. Well, but if you do that, you're going to be enabling them. Well, listen, all I can say is that's not my part of the deal. That's God's part of the deal. Now, now, now listen, at the same time, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about rec recklessness. You need to be wise. You need to be wise. You need to, to, to use the common sense that God gave you. Uh, but more than you need to be wise, you need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because, listen, Joshua, Joshua was, told, was told by God, he said, listen, I want you to take the band and march around Jericho. Now, would we agree that that's probably not a great idea to attack a fortified position with the band? You, how many of you think that's a, that's a crazy idea? I mean, that's not a, not a wise idea from the human standpoint. But sometimes, listen, sometimes God tells us to do something that does not seem wise to us. But we've got to remember in our lives that the goal is not wisdom. The goal is obedience. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're not. I mean, has anybody here ever been asked by the Lord to do something absurd? If not, you're not listening. <laughs> because God always, he's always looking for a way he can make his name high and to make your name a little bit lower. And so he'll often ask you to do something foolish. I, 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 listen, I believe with all my heart, we've talked on Wednesday nights recently about gifts of the Spirit. I believe with all my heart that this is one of the reasons why the spiritual gifts don't flourish because we don't want to look foolish. We're like, what if I say that and, and it's not true? I don't want to look like a, like a what? Like a, a sinner? <laughs> like a loser? Um, well, I hate to tell you, but in the eternal scope of things, that's kind of what you are without Christ anyway. God says, just obey me here. God says, do what I say. I'm going to look great in this. Just go. So there is a way to do life 
where you inc increase earthly treasures. And we in America are very well acquainted with that way of doing life. And there is a way to do it where you see past the present into a future economy. Now I want to explain to you why this is so important for you to hear and understand this. Let's, let's look back at Matthew chapter 6. Again, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now here, here's the next part. Here's, here's why it's so unbelievably important for you to wrestle with this issue today. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it, it's, it's so important to know where your treasure is because that's how you find what's going on in your heart. See, we ask the question, how do I know what's going on in my heart? That, that's why this issue is so big for us because if I want to know what's going on in my heart, then I have to know where my treasure is because that shows me a really important part of what's going on in my heart. This is so huge. This issue is so huge because your heart is at stake. Keep reading verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will, will be full of darkness. And then, the, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So let me try to explain how this happens. Whatever your treasure is, determines how you see the world around you. It determines how you think. It determines how you act. It determines what you pursue. If your affections on, are on earthly things, then your mind will justify a life that focuses on those earthly things and idolatry will lead to pride, which will lead to hardening of the heart and the death of spiritual things in your life. And in that moment... When, if that's where our heart is, if we're chasing after earthly things in that moment, we forget that God is an all-knowing, sovereign, uh, uh, all-loving God. And we begin to say, no longer do we say, let me see your will, let me do your will. Instead, he becomes our waiter to fetch us what we want. Why? Because I'm focused on my earthly treasure. And because I'm focused on my earthly treasure... I have justified in my own heart my own idolatry. And it's catastrophic. It kills our ability to hear and respond. Remember what happens? We talked about it the very first week of this series where if we have an idol in our heart, anytime we try to press into God with an idol in our heart, the only thing he wants to talk about is our idol. Ezekiel 14. He says, I'm not going to talk to you about the things you want to talk about. I want to talk about how tightly your hand is wrapped around that. Let's keep reading because I think this is where I think a lot of Christians in America make a big mistake. Because we make a big mistake when we say, why don't we pursue both God and money? I, I, we justify it by saying things like, but if we have a lot of money... Think of all we could do for the kingdom. And I'd say to, to you in that situation, be very, very careful there. Because here's what I know about God. He has never needed an ATM machine. God has never needed a credit line ever. 
God has never, ever once counted the cost himself, ever, because it doesn't need to count the cost. He doesn't have to weigh it and say, can I afford this? He can always pay. He never goes, he never needs to go, do I have enough for this? So the mistake we make is, why don't we pursue both? But verse 24 says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now listen to this. There is there's something about God, but there's also something about money that lends itself to mastery. Here's what happened. Either, either God masters us or money masters us. And when God is our master, we see all that we have, our business, our time, our money, our talents, our workplace, our neighborhood, everything that we've got. We see all of that as something that has been given to us by God for God. And when God is our master, then our, our love is for people because that's what he loves. And the things of this world become a means to, by which to make the gospel known. But when money is our master, then God becomes a means by which we get more money. You can't chase both. Now, uh, it's really, really important this morning that we remember what we're talking about, uh, remember what questions we're trying to answer. Because my big fear today, uh, and this is what I struggled with even getting ready to preach this morning, my big fear is that you're going to think that I'm talking about money. I'm not talking about money. I'm, I, I'm only talking about money in so much as money reveals what's going on in your heart. I'm trying to talk to you about your heart. I'm not taking an offering today. I'm not making a plea for a, a new building. I'm not trying to build anything. My girls don't need new shoes. I'm not trying to get a raise and I don't need an airplane to, to reach the world. I'm not asking you for money. And if you're a skeptic here today and you say, I knew this church was all about this, nothing else, I want to say to you, listen, keep your money, go buy yourself something transient. I don't want your money. The only, the, this is only about money in that money reveals what you truly value regardless of what you say. We can say the right things all the time. We can say, this is what matters in my life. But money is one of those tests. What we do with what God has given to us is one of those tests that he gives to us so that we can, we can stop lying to ourselves. We can find out exactly where our heart is and we, we can find out exactly what our treasure is in this life because we can fool ourselves. How many of you have ever lied to yourself? Ever happened to anybody? How many of you have ever believed those lies? Put your hand right back up, because I know you did. See, the Bible says the heart is exceedingly deceitful. And the reality is that if we don't look at Scripture and find out what does Scripture say, what does it tell me about how to find out what's going on in my heart, then we can deceive ourselves. And so that's what this is about this morning. It's about you understanding and me understanding in this place that what I do with what God has given me reveals what I truly value and it doesn't really matter what I say because I can say I value the gospel and I value missions, but if I'm not giving the missions, then it's all empty words. So... 
I would say this. You know, you can tell me, I can sit down and ask you and I can say, what is it that you value? And you could tell me something. But here's a better way to do it. You give me your checkbook and your calendar and I'll tell you what matters to you. Because where you invest your money, that's where your heart is. Because your heart follows your treasure. And where you, where you give your time, where you invest your time, that's where your heart is. And see, that's why we're not talking about money. We're talking about your heart. The question of today, listen, today, we're not, the question is not should you tithe or should you not tithe. We're not talking about that stuff. The answer is yes, you should. But, but, but even then, that's entry-level stuff. I'm asking what you really value. I'm asking you what's really going on in your heart. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And where your heart is, that's where your affections beat. And where your affections beat, you'll view the world through those lenses. And, and I, I can't help but wonder if some of us are trying with all of our might to serve two masters, but then just attach God's name to it. The question today is, where's your heart? And you answer that by answering, where's your treasure? Where are you investing? Are you investing in this world? It's going away no matter what. Or are you investing in the place where, where, where moth and thieves and rust have no power? How do you see the world? And some of you, some of you already kind of know. Some of you need to go look at your checkbook. I mean, if you use checkbooks anymore. You need to go look in your Quicken. You need to look and see and say, okay, no, where, where am I investing? What, what, if I were to look at this, what would it tell me about what matters to me? How do you see the world? Do you see life as the, the one who dies with the most toys wins? If you do, I've got bad news for you because you've probably seen that bumper sticker. Uh, but then I saw another bumper sticker that said that he who dies with the most toys still dies or do you see life as being entrusted with what belongs to God for the purpose of the kingdom of God those are two ways of seeing it's not wrong for you to have a nice car it's not wrong wrong for you to have a nice house praise God for those things thank him every day for every blessing that he pours out on your life however if the mind's attention and your heart's affections are set on transient things over eternal things then there's an idolatry problem and probably a pride problem because for most people it's a combination of those two things all right so why don't we hear him why don't we chase him why don't we pursue him why are we not captivated by him the answer is where's your treasure Where's your affection? Those are hard questions, but they're necessary ones. Mary Beth, if you could come on up. You know, I think, honestly, I think we're going to be really surprised in heaven. First of all, we're going to be surprised that there are some people who are there that we didn't think would be there. And there are going to be some people that are not there that we thought would be there. 
But I also think we're going to be surprised because, you know, we're all thinking about who gets to sit on the front row. Who gets to sit really close to Jesus. And, you know, we're all thinking people like Billy Graham. Oh, he's going to be sitting, you know, is it going to be, it'll be uh, Paul the Apostle and Peter and Billy Graham right up there with him. But, you know, just can I tell you, just maybe, maybe it's just going to be some old boy in Arkansas who, who viewed every day of his life as a gift from God. And he was a faithful steward of everything he, he was given for the kingdom. Somebody who toiled in anonymity, who served God faithfully, and who, who lived his life selflessly. Maybe, maybe those are some of the people. Listen, I guarantee heaven's going to be filled with very powerful men and women that we have never heard of, who have never written a book, and have never preached a sermon, and honestly are not very impressive to look at. But my prayer is that we'll wrestle with our hearts and... And that we'll sow deeply into the future economy. That we'll make sure our hearts are in the right place. That we'll use our treasures as a, as a test to figure out what's going on in our hearts. And then when we find it, if, if our hearts are set on the wrong things, that we'd be willing to let the Holy Spirit change us. Let's pray. Father, my hope and my prayer today is that you would just...